Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Our sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Why should you be beaten any more? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and bruises and open sores not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire, your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in the vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, We would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And if you turn to page 978, it's Matthew chapter 13. Page 978, Matthew chapter 13, reading from the first verse. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, 
but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Anthony, thanks uh, very much for reading. Uh, Let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open, and um, I would encourage you to keep them open for a little while, because it's going to be a little while before we get back to them, Uh, but uh, certainly if you don't have them open, uh, you won't understand what's going on. And I think you'll be pleased that I'm encouraging you to leave them open at the moment because of uh, what the application of the Bible passage is going to be. If you've shut them, it's not going to look very good on you later. So keep them open. And um, the other thing you could do is to grab hold of the, um, the handout that I've tucked into the bundle. Well, I say I, I mean somebody else did it, but uh, somebody else kindly put this in and that will help you to see where we're going. And uh, let me say welcome to you all. Uh, My name is Paul Williams, Uh, many of you new here, I'm the vicar here, and we're starting a series looking at Matthew chapter 13, and uh, we're working through this over the next few weeks, and now let me pray that God would help us to understand it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look at uh, the Bible tonight, um, you would reveal to us the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. We pray what we've been singing, that you would give us Jesus, who is the very one who makes the sense of life and is the very one that we want and need, whether we realize it or not. And so help us to have him tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at the start of September is a time of new beginnings for many uh, and with new beginnings come new opportunities starting at uni or college or a new job brings us into contact with new people and the opportunity to say that we're Christians and hopefully then to tell new people the gospel. Now I I guess a number of you uh, would quite like to do that but I would also guess that a number of you are apprehensive about telling people about Jesus. Why? Because you've tried it and you know the sort of response you're going to get. I still remember vividly when I first became a Christian. It was on a Friday night. I went into work on Monday morning feeling as if I'd just discovered the most wonderful and important news in the whole world, because I had. And so I began to tell my colleagues about the Lord Jesus. I was convinced as I went into work on Monday morning that they would be thanking me for telling them about this momentous news about Jesus Christ, the person who made sense of life and who could give them life after death. I thought everybody was going to be flocking around me saying, Paul, thank you so much for telling us this news. I don't need to tell you it didn't pan out like that. One or two colleagues were quite aggressive when I spoke about Jesus. Some asked searching questions I didn't have a clue how to answer. Most were just not that interested. And as the years have unfolded, I've discovered that even of those who show some interest, most don't become Christians. Take Christmas. 
Once again, we're planning to have eight Carols by Candlelight services here over two weekends. And if past years are anything to go by, we will have around 3,000 people through the doors over those two weekends. And I will preach my little heart out. Eight times I will speak to a full or almost full church. I'll do my best to explain the gospel as clearly as I can. And at the end of it, I will urge people to come back to church in the new year or to sign up for Christianity Explored. But if previous years are anything to go by, while some will come back, there won't be many. Not in percentage terms. The return will be very small. And those here who invest so much into laying on carols by candlelight, and it is a huge effort, those will say to me, is it worth it? And I will question, are we missing something? Am I doing something wrong? We are, after all, talking about the most important thing in the world. It is a matter of life and death, eternal life and eternal death. So why doesn't everyone become a Christian? Why don't we get 3,000 people here every Sunday? Matthew chapter 13 addresses that very issue. And over the following weeks, we're going to be looking at this chapter together. Uh, To put the chapter in context, um, uh, you'll see these things on the handout. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent his disciples out to go and speak about him. Go and go and tell people about me, he says in chapter 10. But in chapters 11 and 12, people are not responding positively to the gospel at all. And so the disciples then, just like us today, are sure to be thinking, are we doing something wrong? Are we missing a trick? We think that Jesus is worth following. We're telling people about him, but they're not following him. Some people are being quite aggressive. Why aren't people turning to Jesus in repentance and faith? And here in chapter 13, Jesus addresses that very issue as he teaches us a vision of the kingdom of heaven. So without further ado, let's look at the first part of chapter 13 and my first heading, an important question, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Now, before we go any further, we didn't get far, did we? Before we go any further, note that phrase, out of the house. At the end of chapter 12 and in verses 46 to 50, Jesus is inside a house And inside this house, he's teaching a group of disciples of his followers who are gathered around him and they are hanging on his every word. And here at the beginning of the chapter, he stepped out of the house, verse 2, to address a huge crowd. And this movement of being inside the house teaching his followers, this small group of followers, and then being outside the house addressing this huge crowd, that happens throughout the chapter. So in verse 10, he stops talking to the vast crowd and he's just addressing the disciples. It's as if he's gone back inside the house. Then in verse 24, he's outside the house again addressing the crowd and that is clearly stated in verse 34. You see, over the page, verse 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. And then look in verse 36, he left the crowd and went into the house and he taught his disciples again. Now, we're going to see this again and again through this chapter over these next weeks. Right through this chapter, then, Jesus is in and out of the house. In and out, in and out, either in the house, giving careful instruction to his disciples, the ones who really want to know what he's saying, or moving outside the house and teaching this huge crowd. And it is crucial that we know who he's speaking to at any point in the chapter, and we'll see why it's so important in a moment. So back to chapter 13 and verse 1. Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, verse 1. And verse 2, he addressed this huge crowd. 
Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Huge crowds gathered to listen to Jesus. We're not told how many there were here, but in chapter 14, a crowd of 5,000 men came to hear Jesus. Add to that the women and the children, and it's not unreasonable to think that there were 10, 15, 20,000 people in the crowd. The point is this, the crowds that gathered to hear Jesus are more the attendance of a championship football match at Bramall Lane or Hillsborough than a typical local church service. Or if you prefer, it's more a sell-out Ed Sheeran concert at the O2 than a local Weight Watchers gathering. That said, you could arguably describe the latter as a hefty crowd, but I won't do that. (laughs) Anyway. No, no, come back. Anyway, thousands and thousands, thousands and thousands gathered to hear Jesus. And in case you think that's a bit far-fetched, it has been repeated in history. Think of the great revival times of preachers like Whitfield and Wesley. In 1739, Whitfield preached to crowds of tens of thousands outside. He obviously had a phenomenal pair of lungs and he chose to speak in areas that kind of acted like a natural amphitheatre. And that is what Jesus does here. Verse 2, the crowd was so large that Jesus got into a boat and pushed it a little way into the lake. So it's not difficult to picture the scene in your mind. Jesus in a boat on the lake so that the vast crowd couldn't squash him and overwhelm him, giving him room to speak to everyone. The water lapping gently on the shore, enough to keep the crowd back so they didn't get their socks soggy. End of verse 2, all the people stood on the shore, enabling Jesus to address the crowd unhindered. And then verse 3, he told them many things in parables. And the first parable he told the crowd was the parable of the sower. Now we're going to look at that in detail next week. But because this whole chapter is a chapter of parables, this evening we're going to zoom in on the important question that the disciples asked, a question that we see in verse 10. See, having heard the parable of the sower, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, without looking down to Jesus' answer, let me ask you how you expect Jesus to answer that question. Let me take you back to your religious studies lessons at school. Imagine, oh, this is a thought, imagine you're sitting your RS GCSE paper, and this is the first question, why did Jesus teach in parables? And at this moment, you are rubbing your hands together with glee because you were taught in Sunday school the answer to that. Jesus taught in parables, which are simple stories of everyday life events in order to help people to understand difficult spiritual concepts. Bingo, you think. That's a five-pointer in the bag and you're on your way, your way to an A star. Uh, no, sorry, that is so last year. You're on your way to a GCSE grade nine, aren't you? Well, no, you're not. I am very sorry to disappoint you, but if Jesus is marking your paper, and of course he's the one who really matters, you've just flunked the first question and carry on like this and you're on your way to failing your GCSE RS. Look at how Jesus answers the question. And our second point on the handout, from an important question to second, a perplexing answer. See verse 10, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And verse 11 He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. What does that mean? And look how he continues in verse 12. Whoever has will be given more, and he will will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. What does that mean? 
And whatever verse 12 means, think about it for a few minutes, and my guess is it doesn't sit easily with you or me. If you have, you'll get more. If you don't have, even what you have, I'll take from you. That's more Sheriff of Nottingham than Robin Hood. Sounds like the villain Jesus here, doesn't he? Taking from the poor and giving to the rich. And if that's bad enough, read verse 13 and you might start to feel quite outraged. Jesus, why do you teach the crowd using parables? Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they don't see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, I've come across people who are really annoyed when they read that. Is Jesus saying that he teaches in parables so that people can't see the truth and can't turn to him? Well, look, whatever these verses mean, please know that the Sunday school answer, as I called it, is not the right answer. Jesus did not teach in parables because parables are everyday stories that make difficult spiritual concepts easy to grasp. And anyone who's ever read the parables and thought about them for more than five seconds knows that's the case. Parables are complex. Haven't you found that when you've read them? They leave you scratching your head. Parables are more times crossword than Biff, Chip and Kipper books for children aged five and over. Read a parable and you really have to think about it if you're going to understand it. It's hard work. And that leads us to our third point and uh, over the page, a sifting process. You see, and stay with me here, this is really important, that parables are riddles. Parables are, are deliberately hard in order to sort out Well, we might use the phrase the men from the boys. What I mean is in order to sort out the genuine Christian follower from the uninterested crowd. Now, now don't misunderstand this. Parables are meant to be understood. Look what Jesus says at the end of the first parable, the parable of the sower. Verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. What's he saying there? Well, of course, everyone in the crowd before him had physical ears. It's not as if half the crowd were deformed, earless mutants. Everyone in the crowd had ears. Question is, would they use them? Jesus is saying here what teachers often say to their pupils when they're about to say something that really matters. Now, listen, this is really important. Pin your ears back. You need to understand this. Or if you prefer, and more negatively, it's what parents say to their children. You only hear what you want to hear. Are you deaf? Of course, when parents say that to sort of think to their children, they know they're not deaf. It would be stupid saying it to a deaf person. Are you deaf, wouldn't it? (laughs) They know they're not deaf. They're just saying, we can all turn a deaf ear. We can all be guilty of selective hearing, of only hearing what we want to hear. So Jesus is asking this question, do you really want to hear He who has has ears, let him hear. These things can be heard, they can be understood, but do you want to hear them? And the point is this, if we will listen carefully, thoughtfully to these parables, we will hear the most wonderful and profound mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. 
That's what Jesus says at the end of the chapter, which we'll come to. He says, these parables give us the greatest treasures the world can know, the very meaning of life itself. So as Jesus tells a parable and says to the crowd, he who has ears, let him hear, he's saying, I've just told you something very important, nothing more important in the world. Now, are you going to put your mind to what I've just said and think about it, or aren't you actually that interested? I mean, are you not really interested? It's down to you. He who has ears... So they are meant to be understood. And after Jesus asked the question in verse 9, or makes the statement in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear, his disciples show us exactly how we should respond. Look at verse 10. The disciples, those inside the house, remember, those who really want to follow Jesus, those who are hanging on his every word, they ask him a question, why do you speak in parables? See, it's a great question. They want to know more. And they demonstrate that they want to know more by asking questions. And then as they ask questions, Jesus instructs them. He wants to teach them. You see, if you have ears to hear and you ask Jesus to help you understand, he will help you understand. Verse 11, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. Remember who he's speaking to at this point? He's speaking to his disciples. To you who are my disciples. To you who are demonstrating that you are my disciples by coming to me and wanting to be instructed by me. To you who who want to know me. To those who want to know that I, Jesus, am what life is all about. Verse 11, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you but not to them. Not to the crowds, not to those outside the house. You see, as we've already seen, there are two groups of people running right through this chapter. There's a relatively small bunch of people, I don't know, 20, 25, 30 people, we don't know, but a small bunch of people inside the house. They are Jesus' disciples. This small bunch of people in the house, hanging on Jesus' every word. By contrast, there are crowds of people, thousands of people outside the house. They're interested enough to join the crowd, I mean, they've heard about Jesus, heard that he puts on a good show, heard that he can perform miracles, heard that he tells a ripping good yarn. But are they really interested in knowing the deep things of the kingdom of heaven? Do they really want to know about who Jesus is and about the eternal issues of heaven and hell? Are they really searching for the greatest treasure that there is in life? And when they discover that Jesus is the greatest treasure in life, are they ready to give up everything to follow him? That's what we're going to discover here in this chapter. And it seems that the vast majority of the crowd don't want that. They love the buzz of being part of the crowd, but they're not interested in following Jesus, not really. So Jesus speaks in parables as a way of teasing out who wants to know him and who's just there for the ride. Who has come to know Jesus uh, uh, in order to know, um, you know what life's really all about and who just comes to Jesus for his goodies, for his healings and his miracles? So verse 11, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, you disciples, you in the house, but not to them, not to the crowd. And not given to the crowd because they don't really want to know. Verse 12, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This, of course, has nothing to do with Robin Hood or the Sheriff of Nottingham. This has everything to do with what you and I do with the truths of the Bible. 
If we have a genuine interest in Jesus and a genuine desire to know him and to be part of his kingdom, if that's what we have, we will be given more. Jesus wants people to have more and more of him and more and more understanding of his kingdom. If you have that, he'll give you more. He'll give you much more, verse 12. He'll give you an abundance. Jesus is ready and willing and wanting to give you an overflow of himself and of his kingdom. He wants to give you that. But verse 12, whoever does not have, that is if you don't really have any real interest in Jesus, even the vague curiosity that you seem to have will be taken away. And I've seen it so often in people. Show a bit of interest, not really ready to do much work in looking at the Bible and thinking about it. And the little interest they had just disappears. So look, even if you're part of the crowd here on a Sunday, it's wonderful to have a crowd. Even if you join the crowd of youth at Sunday a.m. Even if you join the crowd of students on a Tuesday. Or join the crowd of 20s and 30s on a Wednesday. Or the crowd of older people who gather for Friday Club. Even if you're part of the huge crowd at Carols by Candlelight. If you join the crowd but you have little interest in Jesus, then even though you have access to the greatest treasures in the universe, you'll not get them. Because you have little concern for these things, even what little you have will be taken from you. See, parables are like a spiritual sieve. They sift us out precisely because they are difficult to understand. If we're going to get them, we have to come to Jesus to pray and we have to ask him to explain them to us. We have to pray and we have to think hard about them. And we will only do that if we're really interested in him. The big question then for every one of us is, not are we part of the crowd, but is our heart in it? is our heart in knowing Jesus. Look at verse 13. This is why I speak in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. What's that about, though seeing they do not see? Well, what is it that people were seeing while Jesus was teaching the crowd? Well, standing before them was none other than God in human flesh. Their eyes were seeing God, but, verse 13, they didn't see God before them because they just saw another human being. And uh, what were they hearing, uh, verse 13? What were they hearing as Jesus taught them? Well, they were hearing the very word of God, the most important words anyone could ever hear, but, verse 13, they didn't hear and understand the deepest and most profound words anyone could hear on the planet. All they heard were stories about farming and gardening and buried treasure and fishing. And so verse 14, Jesus' teaching in parables was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. It was Isaiah who first said to the people of Judah, verse 14, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. And then verse 15, tell us why that was the case. For this people's heart has become calloused. You see, in the first five chapters of Isaiah, and we had the first chapter read, we read it's clear that the people of God had rejected the Lord. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2, the Lord says, they have rebelled against me. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4, they have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. You see, first five chapters, they've turned away from him. Their hearts have become calloused against God. And that's what we read in chapter 
13 of Matthew, verse 15, this people's heart has become calloused. And so, verse 15, because their hearts callous, because they've already turned from the Lord, they hardly hear with their ears. They're not really interested in listening to God. And verse 15, they've, they've closed their eyes to the truth. They don't want to see what God is saying. Otherwise, verse 15, they might see with their ears and hear with their, uh, see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. See how the otherwise works? If they hadn't blocked their ears and closed their eyes to the truth because they've already rebelled against God, well, they would have heard the truth and turned to God and been accepted and forgiven. Parables are, to- are told to sift out people who have already turned their hearts against God. People who might well be part of the crowd, listening to the words of Jesus, but really just go along with the crowd to feel the buzz, but not really interested in knowing Jesus. So the challenge to us is clear. Why are we here? Are you here, if I can put it this way, are you someone who is in the house, listening to Jesus, hanging on his every word, wanting to know more, asking questions, looking at the Bible? That's why I told you to keep it open. If that's you, be encouraged. Verse 11, you have the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. You are in possession of the most important thing in the world. You know the most important person in the world. And verse 12, as you come to Jesus and ask him, he will give you more and more of him and of his kingdom. And verses 16 and 17, you are blessed. You have things that the prophets of old, those who lived before Christ, longed to see. You see what they never saw. If you are someone who yearns to know more and more of Jesus, if you're someone who spends time reading your Bible and are eager to get to know Jesus better, you will get more and more of him. He will give you himself in abundance. Isn't that wonderful? But if that's not you, if you're just part of the crowd, not really wanting to know Jesus, if you like the buzz, the music, the friends and the social life, and by the way, those things are not wrong to want, But if that's all it is, and then when it comes to listening, to thinking hard about the sermon or engaging carefully in the Bible study, if your heart's not in it, if you never read the Bible on your own, if you don't ask Jesus to help you understand more, if you're not that keen to learn about the deep truths of God's kingdom, if that's you, I fear for you. Because Jesus says, even what you have will be taken from you. See, our attitude to God's word, the amount of time and effort we put into understanding God's word is a litmus test for the condition of our heart. Turned away from God or desperate to know him? Well, finally, and really very briefly, because my time has well and truly gone, in a sentence or two, see fourthly a training point. See, we began by wondering why most people don't turn and follow Jesus. And next week, as we look at the parable of the sower, we'll discover more of that. But for now, see this simple but important point. Thousands crowded around to hear Jesus. Jesus, the greatest Christian preacher that ever lived. But only a few had ears to hear. Thousands around him, but only a few wanted to really know him. 
And so is it any wonder that today, as we tell our friends and colleagues and neighbours about Jesus, as we meet new people at uni and college and work and tell them we're Christians, and as we tell the gospel to 3,000 people at Carols by Candlelight this Christmas, is it any wonder that only a few respond? That's how it was for Jesus. That's how it is in the kingdom of heaven. It's not that we're doing something wrong or missing a trick. The small response is precisely what we should expect. But if that all sounds a bit depressing, next week we'll see that when people do respond, the results are truly spectacular. But you'll have to come back next week for that. Let's pray. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Our Father, it's easy to sing that in the crowd, very easy to get carried along with the crowd. We ask you to give us a very deep sense that that is what we want, ready to give up everything, providing we have Jesus. Because when we have him, we have everything. We thank you that uh, when we really do uh, seek for you and your kingdom, we get you. We thank you very much that um, as we come to you longing to know you, you give more, more of yourself and in abundance. And so we pray that as we come to your word, particularly the parables, but any part of your word, we would come eager to find you eager to want to live for you, eager knowing that it is you that makes sense of life. And for those of us who are on the crowd, in the crowd, on the edge, not really that bothered, we pray that tonight might be a turning point because you want us to know and that you would give those on the edge, well, you know, ears to hear and a heart that's in it and a desire to serve you and to know you better. We pray that for all of us. And we pray it now and over these next weeks as we look at Matthew chapter 13. And we pray it in Jesus' name.